Welcome to the Ivy Podcast. We're just two aunties sharing our experience through the lens of one Blackfoot woman and one Anishinaabe woman. And we are Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit based in Montana and Arizona. We are 100% Indigenous led, and this is our podcast. Check us out at indigenousvision.org to learn more about our work, make a donation, or play back any of our radio shows and this episode. Hey, welcome to the Indigenous Vision podcast. You are officially tuned in to our 60th episode. Oh my goodness, we're finally there. My name is Melissa. I am here with the executive director of Indigenous Vision, Suta, who also happens to be my BFF. And it's your birthday week. It's my birthday week. I remembered yesterday um, and I'm supposed to be doing the seven days of gratitude. And I feel like I have been quietly like kind of getting up and taking a checklist of everything that I've been grateful for and, and all the family members and all the babies we have in our family and just the potential and the beauty, all of that. I'm just grateful. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, I have something on the way. I think it will arrive by Monday. Just letting you know that I've been oh, thinking right. of you as well. I love this time <laughs> of the year. You know, there, there's so many special people in my life who are born this time of the year. And when summer like just goes into like full swing mode, it's a special time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into astrology, but I just love summer babies. I think we're really special. I really do. Yeah. Well, astrology is very indigenous. <laughs> and so I think, you know, we have a special connection with the moon and the stars. And I think it's a very indigenous topic. I think that there's a lot of power or influence over us, depending on where the stars were when we were born. And I'm a cancer. And yes, we are a special bunch. <laughs> totally water sign. Like, it's just perfect for whom you are. When I think about you being like this intense, like, cancer energy you love nesting emotional water like it's just everything that you are and then there's me virgo and i'm like super (laughs) kind of rigid sometimes and i get like overly organized and i'm i have to like let go of the control and just try and be more fluid like water as an earth sign you know i tend to be really stationed and like stuck Yes, but maybe that's where our balance comes in because you're like, come on, Suta, let's get this done. (laughs) Yes, It is a really good balance. Well, happy early birthday because I know we won't be recording on your actual birthday and I won't be there this year like I was last year. So happy early birthday. Thank you. We had such a beautiful time last year and heard the bear. That's the closest I've ever been, I feel like, to like a, because it was just around the trees. Mm Mm-hmm. Last year was the first time I've ever done anything like that, like a surprise birthday. I've never been to a surprise party or anything like that. And that was the first time I actually like had to hide in a closet and like jump out. <laughs> like it was really, really cool to see your reaction and Oni's reaction. It was just like two people just completely genuinely shocked that I was there. And then like all the hugs and then all the celebrating and all the exploring that followed. It was really, really cool. Oh, beautiful time at Placid Lake. I was hoping to see a Bigfoot though. No, big no big maybe this year I always want to be camping on my birthday yeah perfect time so we got an email um about a week ago now we've been like letting it kind of just simmer simmer and like cook in our brains which is really cool because um I think this is one of our first real emails where someone reached out and was like hey I actually have a question about 
the things that you talk about, which is pretty amazing. So her name is Sharon. I'm not going to say her last name, but she has a question about appropriation. Sharon, thank you so much for reaching out to us. It is like the hugest, hugest compliment that you took the time to actually willingly look up our information, sat down and typed an email about a question that you have. So here's the question. She said, I discovered your podcast not too long ago and have been binge listening ever since. Thank you. I've learned a lot from you two strong, brave women. I also think you two are extremely beautiful. Oh, thank you. But I have a question. I am Brazilian American, but not indigenous. And when I was on a trip to Tennessee, I stopped at a museum and bought this quote unquote Indian arrowhead artifact because I thought it was cool. And later I found a doll in a antique store that is dressed in Navajo dress and was sold as a Navajo girl, quote unquote. And I bought it because I thought it was really pretty. But now I wonder if it's not right for me to own these items if I'm not indigenous. Granted, the Navajo doll was actually made in Vietnam, so it didn't come from Navajo or even or even Native American people. But still, I feel sort of guilty owning it. What do you think? If it's not right for me to have these items, what should I do with them? I'm going to pass that to you. Oh my goodness, Sharon, what a beautifully worded question. I think you get it all in there. And I don't know, let's, let's, um, let's drop the guilt. (laughs) And, and I don't think we need to feel guilty because we live in the world that we live in, right? Like it, it is what it is until we change it. I think you can use those those items as educational tools now. And I think it's so amazing that, that you went, that you're Brazilian. I think that that is an indigenous South American. So yeah, like (laughs) you are from Brazil. You are, guess what? You are indigenous to Brazil. But these things, I always laugh when I go down route 66, because I always see Melissa's tribe and my teepees and (laughs) the dream catchers and and the Ojibwe style moccasins. And, and I ask, you know, I think we, we said it someplace in a past episode, like, how do you feel about that stuff? And, and most people don't have an answer for it, but I think we can use these as educational tools and moments to say, this isn't actually accurate. This comes from a different people from a different region, but they're selling them in these tourist traps. And then kind of like, as tourists and world travelers, we can start asking, is this indigenous to the people here in this region? Or is this kind of like just generalized, I guess it would be for us a pan Indian education, right? Like Native Americans come from this continent. <laughs> right. And then it's just kind of like mishmash together. I don't know. What do you think, Melissa? I love, I love the fact that for one, yeah, drop the guilt. It's okay that you bought that. You genuinely did not know And that's what life is about is (laughs) going through and learning by what we do. I mean, I'm someone who makes mistakes on the daily and I learn from them in hindsight, but I love that we can turn those items into a teachable moment. I know I've definitely purchased items here and there, especially with, with regards to Asian culture, which I love. And I've had to you know, realize, whoa, these aren't really authentic Asian items like that I'm, I'm really liking. So I've used them as teachable moments. It's like, yeah, this was actually manufactured from a dollar store <laughs> or something like that. You know, like I love Buddhist. I have like this little um, Buddhist s- statue that I bought 
at a garage sale when I was passing through Austin, Texas. Turns out it was originally just sold at a Ross randomly. So I had to like think, okay, this is a teachable moment. These items as cultural and spiritual as they may appear were actually just mass produced for a, a big box store like Ross. But you can definitely take these items and maybe just keep them around. Like you don't have to destroy them. You don't have to get rid of them. Just keep them as a teachable reminder. Like, Hey, this Navajo girl doll was actually made in Vietnam. And it's just an example of how this culture is appropriated just to make a couple bucks for whatever merchant signs up and orders these in bulk, you know, like it's a really great moment to me, either share that with people in your family or people in your life in general, I would personally, if I had an item like that, I would probably make a social media post about it, but that's just my style. But there's a lot of different ways that you can teach not only yourself, but other people about some of these items and just talking about it also spreads the awareness that there's so much of this going on all around us. Don't get rid of them. Just keep them as a friendly reminder that this type of thing exists and is ongoing. However, you can be there to kind of disrupt it. Or make it more authentic. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, like change actually, her dress. Change her dress. Yeah. Like, or learn about what Navajo really means and what the style is and was. You know, it can be such a, a great in, a marker for more education on whatever nation and, and exploration as well. Like people have no idea that dream catchers are from Ojibwe people. They just assume that the, every Native American tribe uses dream catchers again. And you brought up a great example from the Trixie Motel show of uh, wallpaper design that something I was unaware of baskets. Like I am not familiar with baskets. So it's a teachable moment for me to learn about baskets. Yeah. And that it's just that there's so many baskets sold in on the Hopi and Navajo nations, and they're pretty reasonably priced and they're authentic and they're made by crafts people who, who have, who have inherited this craft for like thousands of generations, hundreds of generations, thousands that should be honored. It, there's stories, there's songs, there's special designs that go along with certain events. And then I think when we start like thinking about education, we should even consider like the Navajo doll is, should be a Diné doll because Navajo is what other people called them and Diné is what they call themselves. Exactly. Yeah, it's just, there's that's so much education. <laughs> yeah. That's something that I learned as well. I try to say Diné whenever possible, but when mm -hmm. I'm speaking to non-Indigenous people, I flip my, la my language, unfortunately. Well, it's, and it's because of the system we live in, like mm -hmm. the Bureau of Indian Affairs is who oversees tribal nations. And so it's all systemic terminology right now. And I don't think it'll change. And I don't know, maybe it should change sooner than later because um, like Deb Holland, she's taking some derogatory words off the landscape. And I think that that's going to, I mean, that's our main push behind the, the place name mapping efforts is to remove the violence in signage off the land. And then maybe that'll have a trickle down effect into our population and the future generations of what they think is acceptable. Wow. There's so much going on, Suta. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
start getting in my mom voice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the mean Even auntie voice. <laughs> before we hit record, I had to like take a moment and be like, okay, we came to this podcast to record this cultural appropriation episode. And there's been like a lot of stuff transpiring since we even like agreed to do this podcast. I know, I know. So it's hard to focus. It is. It's hard to feel educational about it because the natural um, knee jerk reaction, I think, is is more akin to that meme of that one blonde lady pointing at the cat. Cultural appropriation. (laughs) Cultural appropriation. (laughs) But we can learn from it. So again, I say, keep those items as reminders of exactly what goes on in the system that we live under as a yes. reminder, you yes. know, and then like for all of your friends who are vacationing from now into the future, just be like, don't get ta- caught in the tourist traps, go right to the reservations, to the cultural centers. Most of them have really beautiful gift shops. So yeah. you'll find authentic items there. And they'll be regionally, culturally specific and appropriate. And some things shouldn't be sold in image or seen in image, like some masks and some uh, deity images. And so it's you should be respectful of what kind of imagery you're buying and, and just educate yourself and ask questions. And if the person seems like super romantic and I don't know, woo woo about it. Like <laughs> use your feelers and, and, and be like, this person is full of it and just try to sell me. So, yeah. Yeah. You can tell who's in it just for the money and people who are in it for supporting the artists who created the items. Yes. And most of the artists, like I come from a family of artists, all, all of my family are subsistence artists, I, I guess. So my mom sells paintings and my dad sells sculptures and, <laughs> and does beadwork and like commissioned stuff. And I'm, I was the kid, I was the kid 30 years ago that benefited from somebody buying a, my mom's prints or something like that. So it's yeah. appreciated. Well, thank you, Sharon, so much for sending an email again. I love the fact that you, again, took the time and binge listen to our episodes. I always, (laughs) I try not to think too much about that because I I learn and heal out loud. So it's kind of messy and I'm okay with the fact that I'm a super messy person, but it's just really crazy that people kind of dig it sometimes. Wow. (laughs) I know. I know people are listening, but it is like, you know, I wanted it to be like an anti-podcast or just Mm -hmm. two friends just kind of visiting about stuff and real stuff. That's what I like about what we do. It's real stuff. I mean, I can come on here and be like love and light, love and light, love and light, but my life isn't actually like that. And I go through a lot of hard stuff and like, I'm still in the process of processing my colonial trauma at the age of almost 41. I've been also getting, getting into a lot of uh, my alcohol healing, which is something that's been coming up recently because the world is open again. So I'm around a lot of people drinking, specifically friends drinking is what I'm struggling with right now, because I kind of just stopped drinking months before the pandemic started. This is what I've been thinking about lately. And I never really got to experience my friends partying around me since then. But now that the world is open and we're all getting back together and celebrations are happening, I've been around a few friends now who have been really intoxicated around me. And it's mm. it's just brought up a lot. I'm just like, wow, they weren't really present. And that's something that I've been like thinking about 
deeply is like my own presence in my own life and how many years that I wasn't really present. And it's just, it's been this intense mental struggle to accept the fact that I, there's still people that I love in my life who are continuing that behavior. And I have to like, be realistic about how I experience them now. And I've had to vocalize that with them. I'm like, Hey, by the way, I'm having a little bit of trouble being around the party. Now it's different because when I go to concerts, I'm with strangers who are drinking their faces off. No problem, whatever. I don't know them, but it's different when it's people I know is what I'm realizing now, Mm -hmm. because I like to experience them, especially right now, authentically. I'm, I'm in love with authenticity right now. And once the alcohol gets involved, it's like, that just goes out the window and it's like this different version of them. And it's also heartbreaking to realize like that was me for decades. So I'm processing a lot of that right now. And I just wanted to mention it because I had to have like a conversation with really good friends about it. And they were so supportive, which is amazing. Nobody got mad and was like, well, I guess I'm just not going to drink around you. It was kind of like, they were like, we get it. I was like, whew, I am friends with the right people. So I just wanted to throw that out there that that's something that I've been processing right now is my oh, quote unquote wow. alcoholism and how I now have to navigate around this lifestyle that I have with my friends. And it's all different now because the world is open again. And I live in like party central. So people come here and they're like, Ooh, Melissa, we're at this hotel and casino. Come see us. And then I get there and like, people are drinking so hard and so fast. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what I'm about anymore. And I have to find this weird balance of how to experience friendships here now. Oh, it's hard. Sobriety is hard. And and it's not hard as in like a, oh, I'm so tempted. I really want to drink. It's um, right for me. I've I've been the mostly sober family member, friend. It's hard dealing with the mental and the emotional roller coaster I experience them going through. And then like I'm constantly having to like reaffirm the reality of the situation that there is an addiction and a substance involved and that's altering uh, thought processes and filters and like, yeah, it just, it's so, it's hard being the sober one because I feel like, I don't know, it, it's like, it makes me emotional as well. Yeah. Because uh, you just want there to be peace and, and joy, you know, mm-hmm. like a friend, Lenny, she's like, you know, protect the joy. She's on that, that ride. And I'm, I'm on the same. And um, once a substance gets involved, then the joy is just kind of sucked out of the relationship and so and then a lot of conflict and misunderstanding comes in because it messes with your filters and your ability like you said to see things and and I'm I because I've been the sober one I feel like I've been like voluntold as people's uh conscience almost (laughs) Mm. and and like so like they suddenly will hold something against me but it's because of their maybe the guilt associated with their own behavior and and I am not a participant in that and so there it's totally guilty animosity towards me um for that and and then I hate talking to my loved ones when they're inebriated because they hear things differently. Yeah. Um, we could be talking about something totally awesome 
And then I hear a week or a month or even years later that they heard something like this. And then they had, but they carry around that whatever pain that that misunderstanding caused them and think mm-hmm. that I feel that way. And I'm just, alcohol is such a. It's yeah, really. I'm really coming to terms with it. I feel like I'm in the final chapter of like what I have to let go of from that, because it's not just about stopping drinking and then getting back to life. It's like, this is something that's going to be ongoing with me. And it was really, really surreal just to, to sit with friends who I thought were present, but then realizing it was a different version of them. And I, and our conversations, it's almost like we had the same conversation the next day when they were, when they sobered up, even though I was there with them talking about these very same things, but they had just forgotten because of the alcohol. And then to have that same conversation the next day, I felt like I was in a, a weird reality. I'm like, didn't you remember us talking about this last night? And they were like, no, oh my I thought, goodness. and it makes me sad. Cause I'm like, how much time did I spend being this way as well and having conversations and losing all of that interaction with people. And it's just, it's like a morning. I feel almost in grief for myself. You know, like I saw a friend that I didn't see for over 10 years and I'm genuinely concerned. She won't remember the conversation we had. And I was pouring my heart out. Like I haven't seen you in so long, but I don't think she remembers what we talked about a hundred percent. Yeah, I know. I'm like the unlucky person. I leave a wake of like sober boyfriends behind me. <laughs> they all <laughs> and and friends. And I have a lot of sober friends, but then I also am the friend that people come to when they want to sober up, you know, because mm. they know that I'm not, I'm going to help them resist temptation in some way. <laughs> But, you know, it's for me, it's like I see um, the other dimension of it, I suppose, because I, I really believe in in our indigenous ways and our, our culture and our spirituality. And, and I believe my grandpa's stories and I believe how the stories of how spirits work. And it's a power that I don't want to mess with. And, and I don't want it to have control over me. Like I, I like, I like me. I like Suta. I like, I want to hold on to her and keep her here in in this spot and and not leave this vessel that I've been gifted open to anything that, that might do things with my life that I'm, I don't want. You know, I want, is that, let's take a control freak to like the next level, right? No, that's like self-love. That's what it really is. I mean, I had so much self-loathing that I didn't care about that aspect of myself, which was why I went so deep and hard. And I was like, whatever, whatever happens, happens was the attitude I had. But now I'm like, no, I am deeply connected to my body and spirit now. And it's been really transformative to go through the world where people are still not that connected and it's very strange and I just wanted to bring it up in this podcast because we're keeping it real and this is what I've really been experiencing since the world has opened up again and international travel and I get kind of anxious now I'm going back to Canada next month and I'm going to feel the pressures again to be around the party because that's the legacy I created over there. Like I, mm-hmm. I did that. <laughs> I am known for that. That was like my thing. And like, I'm going back and it's 
going to be totally different. It's like, Hey, here's the sober me. I just want to chill out and go out for dinner and maybe explore nature. I have to set like a really strong boundary now as the new mature me. And it's, (laughs) it's going to be something else for me to tell people like, you know what? I can't hang out because I just don't want to anymore. Yeah. It's relearning how to be with people really. Like one of the most beautiful comments that a ex-boyfriend gave me was um, that, that when he sobered up, he was able to see clear. It's like he, he said he came out of a fog and he was able to remember conversations and actually hear people. He said, um, before when he was listening, he wasn't actually listening. It was, and, and the imagery that what he was talking about was like, you know, when you dunk under the tub or into the lake and you're like under the water and you can hear sounds, but the water is murky and the sound is kind of not heard. That's the imagery I got in my head when he was explaining that to me. And, and I thought that that is a really, you know, that, that must be the sad part at the end of your life when your life flashes through your your eyes again, you know, those last few minutes before you pass on to the next journey that you really wish that you had back. Like, I wish I could remember those moments a little better. Yeah, you know, it's it's all true. Like, I do feel like I've just come out of a, a fog, a 37-year fog. No, 38-year fog because I'm about to approach three years of sobriety and it's yeah 38 years of a fog that's literally all I knew since I was 14 and there are things that I it's kind of a blur like it's definitely a blur I feel like I have to re-watch all the movies I need to reread all the books like it's that intense suit like there's a couple movies that I've watched and I'm like oh my goodness I get this now like it's a different level of clarity and absorbing information and experiencing things it is very surreal and it's it's kind of like throwing me back for the past couple of years because I'm like I've never experienced life like this before you know my 14 year old body started that and it took till I was 38 to stop And now I'm experiencing life like this and I'm kind of excited to experience the rest of my life like this. So I did give what 30, wow, 14 to 38, 24 years. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 24 years of alcohol, but now I have the rest of my life to experience life um, authentically as myself, which is kind of exciting. And I've been doing that pretty hard. I don't know if you follow me on social media, but I'm out there (laughs) doing stuff. That's pretty amazing because with my new authentic, clear self, life is so amazing. I'm telling you, it really is. It's like you're seeing from your own body now, like your, your Melissa is there looking out. And I think for those of you who haven't listened somewhere back in one through 10, who knows? Um, I talked about my grandpa's story and he, Mm -hmm. and it was his dad's story and his dad um, and two other medicine men were trying to get my grandpa to jump in the wagon. So these were the wagon days and go over to Thunder Chief gas station, which is outside of Lethbridge, Alberta to go drink. And then my grandpa and his friend finally convinced this third person to go to the bar and he's like, okay, okay. One condition you leave when I want to leave. And they're like, yeah, okay, let's go. And so they all jump in the wagon. And a few hours later, <laughs> cause it's the wagon days, 
they get to the bar and it, they party, they have fun. And then they said right around the midnight, one o'clock time, friends started to like look shifty and started sweating. And they asked him what's wrong. And, and he said, well, and they knew as a medicine man that he was a seer and he could see with this, this, in this other dimension. And he said, well, the spirits are starting to fight over whose body that they, they get. And in, in our way, when you absorb a substance like that, or like a poison, your spirit will go to someplace safe, or it'll like, kind of, yeah, someplace safe, like a familiar spot, safety, who knows this part, I don't know if I'm the expert on this. Um, This is just like my knowledge and my what I'm like seeing happen, maybe my my suit rationale, Blackfoot influence. (laughs) Um, But like, Yeah. So your spirit like leaves your body and steps out, which is really interesting in a whole podcast in itself. But then these entities that we share this world with are then able to like borrow your, your vessel (laughs) and, you know, be in the driver's seat for a little while. And then when the substance wears off, then your, your spirit usually comes back or you, you can call yourself back. So healing ceremonies I've been to they it involves like calling the person back yeah it's just interesting like that clarity that you're talking about seems like like you're sitting back in the driver's seat now 100% 100% like permanently buckled in <laughs> oh, wow <laughs> whereas well, before I was kind of like here and there whatever didn't really care but now I'm like whoa this is really a different experience and it's a good experience. And the thing was like, and I don't talk about my drinking too much because I never wanted to quit. It just kind of happened. I wasn't one of those people that was like destroying my life and was like, Oh my God, Melissa, you need to get it together. You're, you're going to get evicted or you're losing your job. Like I was a high functioning and to this day still am addict. So it was kind of like, I feel like I don't have the right to tell people about this and I just keep it to myself because I never struggled with quitting. It just kind of happened. I literally just feel like I quote unquote had my fill and was done drinking. Like I was just done. I didn't feel like I needed to have another drink and I still don't. And I'm around it all the time. That's why I was like, I don't care if people drink around me because I'm not tempted, but now it's the, severely intoxicated loved one that I'm struggling with, which is a different Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. That will never stop. I don't think. I, I, I commend you for being so strong and living with people like that for so long as someone who is that person, I can't imagine what it must've been like for you as a sober, pretty much sober your whole life and just experiencing people like that. I cannot imagine what that must have been like oh my goodness you just have to be strong <laughs> like that's crazy stupid, the most stupidest advice like it's you know I am you have to be okay with people misunderstanding you or misinterpreting you um misreading you you know thinking yelling for you, thinking for you <laughs> yeah like just you have to be okay with um the living separate realities and and that's what it is. And, you know, it hurts. It's not, it's not all okay all the time, but it's, you, it is what it is. 
And I, I can't, I can't let it affect the path that I've chosen. And I, I don't cope like that. I, I used to cope in, in a destructive way. I used to go running until it hurt. Um, and I didn't realize that that was also like an abusive, addictive behavior. And so there was other ways, you know, everybody is different. And I think every story should be told and heard because there's somebody out there who identifies with us, right? Yeah. (laughs) We're all experiencing some variation of something. And so the more we hear about it in different ways, uh, maybe the faster we all heal. Amazing. Well, thanks. Thanks for being proud of you. Yeah. Thank you for being my friend when I was still drinking and then not, I mean, you really saw the transition of it ending, which was really me leaving Canada where all my trauma happened. Getting out Mm -hmm. of there and coming here was really the catalyst of how my life shifted into a better me. Holy moly. I don't know what's up with today. I'm just having like this crazy, like share. It's, (laughs) It's beautiful. It's, it's yeah. I think the part that I was attracted to and the uh, part that I fell in love with was that self-discipline that you had. And because I'm a procrastinator and a daydreamer and you're like, I'm going to go vegan and then snap, that was your reality. And then you're like, I'm not going to drink anymore. And that was your reality. And I was like, Whoa. And then, um, you know, late years later, I hear, and agree with like self-discipline and that ability to uh, do something for yourself, despite it not being in your immediate best interest, like, you know, in, right now, entertainment or right now, feel good for um, long-term feel good, I think is, is the highest form of self-love. And I love that. And I only want to be around people who are, who love themselves because it's less painful, you know? That's also something that I'm trying to come to terms with, with all my historical friends. I'm like, I don't think I'm the same friend anymore. Yeah. I want to give, I give an F about myself and I want to be around people who really care to, you know, care about themselves, care about their children, care about our earth, you know, care about, care about parts of the world that we can't see and the magic that's left in it. And I think if we all care about the magic that we can't see, we can we can grow that. I'm so dreamy. I, I don't know. I, I just, love it. I like living in this other <laughs> world. Like that's my coping mechanism. I think is I remove myself from a reality right? and then just kind of like, you know, at some point in time, my ancestors had a world like this and, and I can daydream. I can in my younger days, because I, I have trouble with men and alcoholism. <laughs> That's like my, my blessing or my downfall in life is men and alcoholism and, and this wake of sober or uh, men that I leave. And I, I love them. I love them all. It's just alcohol makes things hard and, and it changes people it's not you. And, and anyway, even when I was younger, my coping mechanism was to drop out of this reality and then slip into the reality of my ancestors and be like, oh, there used to be these intergalactic loves of Blackfoot people. And one time there was this beautiful Blackfoot woman and her friends who were berry picking. And she looked up at the star and, and, and I can't remember the story. I won't tell it all the way, but 
to paraphrase it, she promises herself to the star if they could find their way home, find some berries, something like that. And then sometime later, this beautiful man appears in the forest to her. And I've always, because I've been a jogger and a trail runner and a hiker, I've always imagined I meet the love of my life on the trail. But like, and it's from this story that I've I've grown up with that this beautiful man appears and he says, well, I've, I've come for you you've promised yourself to me and now I'm here. You're, you're going to be my wife. Right. And, and she gets scared, but then he's just so beautiful and, and goes up to the star world to live with him for a while and has a child. And then her and her child end up in in a different, similar story down the line, come down to the world again. And then the child gets taken away again. Uh, (laughs) Big old long stories. That's why we have four days and feasts and campouts to tell these stories. But, you know, it's just interesting. That's the world I drop into that ancestral world. It really does help when you're operating from an indigenous um, value system and from your ancestral like place, like you talked about, it really does help. And I find myself also kind of not retreating, but going back to that as well, especially right now, um, waking up and seeing Roe versus Wade overturned. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, I, I think about, well, I'm like, oh, well, this system, this is a system first of all, that I'm kind of not a part of, but I have to play, play along with, but I still deep down, I know that life is going to be okay. I go back to my ancestral knowledge and overcoming. And I just think, well, this is just another one of those obstacles. And there's still so much beauty in in the world to experience and explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Indigenous women have always had power and control over our reproductive rights. We were never told when to have a kid or how to have a kid or, you know, we got to choose. And, and then there was birth control and there was abortion and, and there was, it was all, you know, and talking about sobriety and reproductive rights, like there's this notion of um, good and evil. And, and I love my Christian and, and my Catholic friends, and you can choose what to believe in whatever you want to believe in. But with colonization came this idea that there was a good way or like a heavenly way and an evil way. And I think anything misunderstood or um, different was categorized as evil and the same with like healing uh, to go back to healing and sobriety. That was, I feel like a lot of people, you know, the 12 steps in the AA program, they're based on Christian um, ideologies, right? And finding uh, Jesus and <laughs> and and that kind of stuff. And and there's a lot of red road stuff and well-briety, but I think it is about finding you or and or maybe finding your spirit and asserting that control over yourself. I always tell my son that if he had if he doesn't have control over himself, then he has control over nothing in this world. That's the only thing we have control over in this world, right? Is how we feel and think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um it's really surreal living in these times and being someone who operates from an indigenous paradigm. It's very surreal to watch the world almost combust around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such heavy feelings. It's a good time to avoid the news, probably. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to. 
so um, deep today but we have to i, I mean, know my reality it's heavy news but it's good news you know like hold on to yourself and be you be authentically you because you're beautiful just the way you are thank you so much for listening to the indigenous vision podcast you can find out more about us on our official website including how to contact us make a donation or play back any of our music radio shows or this podcast. Don't forget to share with your friends and write a review. If you've got time, we totally appreciate you sharing your time with us.